Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I'm talking to Matt Benneron from Vantage Point Consulting. Welcome to the Grow CFO Show, Matt. Thanks very much for having me. Hi. So, Matt, tell me a little bit about yourself. What got you to where you are today? Sure. So um, I, uh, I've i got a bit of a mixed background. I've worked in consulting for quite a while. I, I started off in big four style uh, consulting, coming from a technology angle, really. I then had a few roles that took me down, mostly a technology implementation track to start with, always for finance, but it was always technology for finance. Um, in the last three, uh, three, five no more than that. Uh, seven or eight years now, I've looked at um, consolidation, FPNA, systems implementations. Um, I became a qualified uh, accountant along the track as well. And in the last maybe four or five years, I've focused a lot more on CFO advisory, how CFOs are setting up their finance function from a people, process and technology uh, perspective, but also leading a lot of technology um, implementations as well. So looking at FPNA systems, consolidation systems, regulatory reporting, um, all for the pillar of the CFI. Brilliant, brilliant. So we, we've got a future CFO program inside Grow CFO. And towards the end of that, the final two modules are all about, you've, you've just managed to get the top job. So module eight is all mm-hmm. about putting together a blueprint for your new finance function that you've just inherited. Module nine is all about how do I spend the first hundred days settling into this this new top job. Now it sounds as though the stuff that you do is right in the sweet spot of how do I put a blueprint together for my finance function. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the clients we work with are um, are new CFOs, and I think what what typically happens is a CFO comes into an organisation, um, has some kind of clear fresh ideas about the direction they want to uh, take the finance team, but also has a lot of questions about how to do that best and how to really set their finance team up in a way that's going to support their overall objectives, the organization's overall objectives. And that's where we come in to try and bring some of that experience from other organizations, um, methodologies, frameworks that help um, any CFO as they start to formulate their vision and plan over the next um, three to five years. So I'm I'm sitting there. It's it's probably I'm probably about a couple of weeks into my new role as a, a fresh CFO, mm. and I'm thinking, I know this finance function is not right. I know roughly where I want to take it, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. So where where would you start, Matt? So. The CFOs we talk to, um, some start very much head head down in finance. They're looking at their finance team. They're looking at finance operations and how they improve that. Others, and the direction where I would encourage people to start is actually looking at exec alignment, leadership alignment, and strategic objectives of the organization. I think the first area that we sometimes see CFOs struggling or when finance change program struggle is where they haven't started with a CEO and the rest of the C-suite and the board. So first of all, I would ensure that as a CFO, you're getting alignment with your CEO and the other exec um, team, whether that be CIO, CTO, COO. Um, 
to start to make sure that whatever your finance vision that you're building, it has absolute direct correlation to what the board are assessing you on and what the board, uh, what the shareholders are assessing the board on. So aligning the strategic objectives of the, of the organization to finance, because there's no point going and investing in a wonderful new FP&A tool if there isn't some lineage to that project up to the ambition of the wider organization. So the yeah, first things first, look at, uh, ask around for, if they're not already clearly defined, what are the strategic objectives and use that as the starting point before you do anything in terms of setting your finance objectives and then what you actually do to achieve some of those objectives and improve and enhance and um, uh, refine from there. That has to be, uh, for me, step number one. Yeah, and I, I think that strategy thing is really important. And like you, Matt, got a background in consulting with the big four. And one of the things that I was involved in, and it's part of the team that wrote the balanced scorecard methodology in PwC. Mm. I remember scorecard assignments that have been on, and it's we've started thinking about, well, we need a what you would describe as an FP&A tool to, to put the measurement into. Yep. Um, and we started going through the exercise of what, what should we be measuring here? Even before we've got down to the bit of choosing the system. And it's become plainly obvious when you ask that question that actually the organization hasn't got the first clue of what its strategy should be. Yep. So instead of doing an FP&A implementation, you're suddenly doing in, going into doing a very rapid strategy blueprinting exercise. <laughs> Exactly. I think that's a great example of an anecdotal. You're engaged maybe in one area, but the foundation work hasn't been done to set the themes and the vision. Um, and that's not cascaded all the way down through everyone. So everyone's kind of sat around scratching their head. And, and what that can ultimately mean on projects that we're running, for example, can be that things take longer than they were designed to they um, are more expensive and projects always have that element projects always overrun projects always go over uh, budget there's always risk of that and what we're trying to do is to do things in a chronology that means that when you do arrive at those challenges those challenges are really well understood by everyone those projects are really well understood by everyone the value that those projects bring are really well understood by everyone and it makes those more difficult conversations that are quite natural to have as you run lots of projects a lot lot easier because everyone is bought in right from the start absolutely absolutely so we've we've got that strategy clear yep so i'm now thinking okay fine strategy what we've got at the moment doesn't look right for these strategic objectives. The, I suppose one challenge is I've, I've just joined a, a company that is growing very, very quickly. Um, fine. A lot of companies start off with a spreadsheet. A lot of companies move on and they use something like zero. Um, but then you're growing fast. You need more than just that simple bookkeeping system. Um, how do you go about then working out what it is you need to fit that strategy? So I think there's a little bit in between the corporate strategy and the how do we replace zero and what technology do we need that might give us everything that we need. And, and that bit in between, again, is I think the next bit that's often skipped over that is really important. And that is bringing those those strategic themes down to the level of finance. So starting to say, right, we, we want to... Uh, grow into these emerging markets we want to uh, increase 
revenue by this percentage over this uh, uh, portion of time. We're working towards IPO at some, whatever they are, they will then cascade down to finance and finance will therefore need to support that directly or indirectly. And then the finance systems will need to support that directly or indirectly. So I guess the point that we are really always pushing with CFOs we're working with is try and start to coin um, a vision and and, uh, and objectives and themes for finance that are that lower level of detail beyond the strategic ones that aren't necessarily always going to particularly talk specifically to, be, uh, to people in your finance team. So it might be, yeah, we want to achieve growth and therefore we have a, 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 an objective in finance, which is invest in solutions that give multiple times scalability to enable use as we uh, become a multinational organization whatever it might be but it's making that a little bit more real for finance then what you can do so after you've started to say right these are our real finance objectives you can start to um, communicate that to everyone which is often easier said than done Um, and the communication point is really important because I think if you don't communicate to everyone, everyone doesn't understand why they are the objectives and how they're important in those objectives, it, it can get lost. So think about catchy ways to bring everyone into those objectives, whether it be through kind of monthly stand-up conversations you have with the whole team, coming up with single words, um, single word catchphrases that encapsulate the way in which you want everyone to be working, think about how you message that to everyone in a consumable way such that everyone, if you were to walk up to anyone in the finance team and say, right, what are the finance objectives? They'd know them off the top of their head because they've had a, had engagement all the way through and therefore they know how their work correlates to what the CFO is trying to achieve as well. Mm. I, I, think like that, that, I, like, uh, I like that idea of catchphrases as well. I was sitting watching... Uh, Boris Johnson's uh, TV address a couple of days ago, and I started counting the number of times that Boris squeezed his new catchphrase, squeeze the disease, into the conversation. Very, very impressive. I lost count after about 10 or 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I guess, yeah, we're not trying to create a political world, but the 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 exercise that I guess politicians do very very well and are trained to do, um, and across uh, COVID there there've been quite a few catchphrases or themes that we've had drilled into us uh, to kind of suppress uh, the virus, save the NHS, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, um, uh, protect the NHS, etc. Is is exactly what we're talking about, um, and it does it does on some level. Um, whether subliminal or not, it does on some level work when you're trying to get a clear message out such that everyone everyone follows. Um, so I think that's a really good example. And bringing it to finance, um, there was one organisation that we've worked with that used the phrase that at the very top of their programme, it was smart followers. Smart followers is what they wanted to, to achieve. And I think that that then broke down into what that really meant but they wanted to make decisions. They were, they didn't want to be the first person in their industry to ever invest in a new solution or the first person to do something, but they wanted to be smart about it. And then that set the theme for everything that they did thereafter over quite a long kind of five to seven year program. Um, and that's the kind of thing we're talking about in the context of finance. Yeah, that, that sounds very much like a, a CIO that I worked with in a former organization when I was complaining about my laptop and said, Kevin, we want 
good technology, we're not prepared to be at the bleeding edge. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, fair, maybe not in the context of your, your old laptop, but in a finance program, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So down to, down to the nitty gritty, we've, we've got the finance function all, let's say, for want of a better phrase, singing off the same hymn sheet. We've got finance knowing what their role is in this strategy. Um, but I'm then in my new job. I'm not very far into it. And sooner or later, I've got to be going along to the, the CEO and saying, well, here's my blueprint of where we're going to take finance. Here's what it's going to cost. Here are the things that we're going to be doing. Here's the roadmap for the next 12, 24 months to be in the place we need to be. There's a lot of work to get to the, from just understanding the strategy and how it impacts finance to having that roadmap and persuading the, the board to put some money behind this. So where do we go next, Matt? Yeah, exactly. And we are getting into the detail of the, the real the real legwork that kind of starts to actually get into the detail. Um, so first of all, you need to think holistically. So look, um, connected decision-making is often a... a a phrase we use um, and we want to work towards that connected decision making model so the first thing to do I guess if I were to be a CFO is I want to listen to everyone and particularly if I'm coming into a, uh, an organization where I'm not familiar you want to listen and engage with everyone across uh, finance and if your finance team is small enough um, there should be no no real reason that you can't have one-on-one -on -one engagement probably with the entirety of your finance team so I think first of all you need to do that step back and that surveying exercise whatever that might look like it can look like it, it can be things like surveys it can be one-to-one -one interviews but but collect as broad a view as you possibly can of what people are really saying what are the things that work well what are the challenges what are the solutions the technologies that don't work what are the processes that haven't worked how have audits been in prior years trying to uncover as much as possible um, about the the finance operations from the people that are responsible but then also look outside of finance so look at look at operations look at it and um, look at where your revenue is coming from whatever that might be distribution etc and ask them about finance and say right what's your relationship with finance what do you get from finance what are your problems your bugbears with finance and what do you think about finance um because you uh, potentially a part of this exercise is shifting the perception of finance as well outside of the finance organization. It's great if all the accountants think they're doing a wonderful job, but if operations don't see the value that they're bringing, you're going to have more of a challenge than you would otherwise. So step one is talk to everyone, get a view inside and outside of finance, and that will start to give you, it won't be rocket science. It comes out quite quickly. What is what are you learning? What are the common themes? What are the common problems? And it, as you start to document what those common problems are, the solutions will start to naturally unfold. Then it's a case of moving beyond that, evaluating those and starting to come up with answers and putting them onto a roadmap. But start with that broad engagement piece, first of all. Mm, yeah, I, I can see an awful lot of sense in that. And I think 
that that's bringing out something that, that I, I talked to Hannah Monroe about last week when we were talking finance transformation in, in more general terms. It was look, definitely look outside of finance because a lot of the problems in finance actually have their roots in the rest of the business. Yeah, and if we we always talk about finance being a strategic asset to the organization, not just a bookkeeping function. Um and and CFOs and finance generally are playing that more operational role in helping the business grow, not just being there to do the bookkeeping as the business grows. So I think it's pretty natural nowadays that if you are to have a really successful finance function, the customer needs to come first and the customer does not exist within finance. That's got to be outside of finance. Yeah. So we've got a good idea now of where the business is going, where finance needs to go. We've got a good idea of the the issues that we're currently coping with and dealing with. So what's next, Matt? So this is the point at which some people's knowledge horizon, from a CFO perspective, might start to um, wilter, depending on, I guess, your experience as a CFO. But you need to point out here that a CFO has to get his head around so many things he cannot possibly be expected to be an expert in everything exactly and it depends on the track that you've come through as a cfo but are you going to be um a process design expert maybe are you going to be a technology expert maybe but possibly not are you going to know exactly how to set up a regulatory reporting framework and the controls and governance for that possibly but maybe not so i think it's really important that you are honest to yourself about what you do know and what you don't know and then you leverage people across the business to support you in the next stage that might be people within your finance team that have experience that you can leverage it might even be people outside of the finance team that you can leverage in this process Um, for some organizations it means they go to external partners to bring some of this experience but the main crux of the next stage is to come up with answers to the problems that you've identified. And some of those answers will not, again, a lot of this is not rocket science. A lot of the answers to the problems will not be too difficult or far reaching. Some will be quite small, quick wins. There will be people that say we have manual spreadsheet processes that take us days and days and days. And there are always tactical ways to improve that. There will be, control issues maybe that just need some shift around of key individuals or um, some additional checkpoints in processes. So we're not trying to turn every challenge into a massive transformation project, um, but there should be some lineage that says, well, these are the challenges I've documented and this is how I'm going to be addressing each of them and trying to connect the dots on those as much as possible. So we'll be talking about things like technology implementation. We'll be talking about things like process redesign. We'll be talking about things like changing roles, structures of teams, trying to change the culture in which people are operating. Um, But propose change initiatives, as we typically call them. And those change initiatives should, if all executed perfectly, which is the next stage, but if all executed perfectly, should address every single problem that you have in the organization today. Um, And we can then start to think about prioritizing those and coming up with cost benefit analysis for those. And that, it, that starts to form the roadmap piece that we come on to next, but take the pressure off yourself. Don't feel like you need to know the answers to every single problem, lean on other people in the organization and outside of the organization to help you come up with what those answers might be. Um, a replacement of zero. Kevin was one of the ones you spoke about earlier. That might be one of them, but 
um, there'll be loads of them that are bigger than that and smaller than that as well. And I, I think the key thing here, Matt, coming out of what you said, is that it's we're not just talking about replacing bits of technology. Where as soon as you say that, well, this piece of technology isn't doing what we want, these spreadsheets are taking us days to, to perform. And you're talking, yes, there'll be a piece of technology that can do it better, but the processes that are required around that bit of technology are different. And the organization that you need to operate them is different. Now, if, if somebody's taking five days crunching a spreadsheet and you give them a, a piece of kit that does it in an hour, well, what are you gonna do with that, that extra five days you've just, you've just released? Um, so you've got to very definitely bear in mind that we're not just talking a blueprint for finance systems, we're talking a blueprint for the finance function. And the finance function is a team of people that perform high quality financial processes using best in class tools and systems. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I can't um, understate that. Uh, I can't overstate that, that, that point enough. Sorry. So, um, yeah, technology isn't isn't the answer. And um, if you don't connect the dots between technology processes the people that interact with them, you are at high risk of investing in a technology that's not right, that's not going to scale, that's not actually going to solve the problem that you thought it was going to solve. Um, but this all kind of feeds back to the, the things we spoke about just before, which is if you are connecting everything as you go through from the strategic objectives to finance, to themes, to how you want to achieve them, to the problems, to the solutions, you're at a much lower risk of making those decisions that you 12 months down the line so actually we might have thought uh, yeah we oh, we should have done something a little bit different and that holistic um fairly broad brush approach um is the way we mitigate scenarios yeah. like that and i guess one thing that you, we should be making sure is that the mindset is right that if the strategy is to grow this seven-figure business into an eight-figure business or an eight-figure business into a nine-figure business you know, don't just put it, don't just start with something that works today. You've got to have the mindset that we're already that bigger business mm. and put in the process, the system, the organization structure that will work with that bigger business. Works today isn't good enough. You just give yourself more work down the road. Exactly. And it's great if you've got a... Um a board that see that and some organizations we work with have they have a clear plan that they are uh, they're small today but they are not small for long and therefore they are ready to make the level of investment that is required so it might be that you're blessed with people around you that are already bought in and probably pushing that vision on you mm. but then you could also be from the other side which is actually maybe finance isn't perceived in in such a strategic asset style way maybe the investment is challenged from a, a pennies and pounds perspective rather than a future value add and this exercise should help you if you're in that latter scenario bring everyone into your vision bring everyone on that journey and um, get them bought into what you're trying to do which is as you say grow that seven to eight figure eight to nine figure business and make sure that the that the wheels don't fall off later down the line. Okay, so we, we haven't quite got to having that roadmap that we can go along and present to the rest of the C-suite and say, 
give me 10 million quid, please, to implement this lot. So where, where do we go next to be building that, that really strong business case, Matt? So that comes off the back of the change initiative. So you've articulated, right, we are going to have these this suite of 20 to 30. It could be as broad as that change initiatives. And some of those have a very, very low external cost. Um, some of those might have quite a high external cost. Um, because some might be we just need to change this person's role and restructure them in this way. Others might be we need to implement an ERP to replace our general ledger, whatever it might be. Look at the change initiatives and you need to put together mini business cases, in essence, for each of them that articulate how they're relevant, what they bring, and have some form of operational plan to actually deliver them. So if you've got a change initiative, you need to have some form of order of magnitude uh, against it and and timeline and then start to prioritize look to prioritize the the maybe the quicker wins the 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 lower investment higher value as much as you can so you can actually uh, have a roadmap that has stages of investment rather than saying i need 10 million to achieve these 30 objectives i need 2 million to achieve the first six or seven and then we'll and then I'll be looking to come back for the remaining budget to achieve the rest. Look to bite, uh, uh, to break it down into bite-sized chunks, but chronologize um, the change initiatives, um, start to map them in terms of the value that they add versus the cost that they bring. Um, and by this point, bear in mind, this is not the first time you've spoken to the board about wanting 10 million pounds to invest in these change initiatives because the board have been brought along every step of this journey as well. Um, so they've already got some idea of what you're learning, what you're seeing, the direction in which you're going. Um, so they're already warmed up to the fact you're probably going to be asking for a little bit of investment to achieve. Them. Mm. So we've, we've got something here that's, that's overlaying very nicely into that, that first hundred days in your role and how you've got to be dealing with the rest of the C-suite across that 100 days. You've got to be telling them a story all the time. And it's a two-way conversation as well, because you're you're learning as much about what they need as they're learning about what you want to deliver. Yeah, exactly. And and this listening engagement, um, uh, continually reviewing uh, that cycle, is exactly what we do. Um, we do these these kind of exercises with organisations, but it doesn't mean we arrive at the same result every time. And the reason we don't arrive at the same result every time is because we are listening and because we are engaging with different people with different views and different uh, kinds of organisations. So, yeah, that two-way engagement process is essential all the way through. Your your ultimate customer is the CFO, is the board. Um, so make sure you're driving with them and not against them. Um, and that will mean different things in different scenarios, but you can't ignore ignore the direction that that they're giving you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we've talked about the CFO not necessarily knowing everything here, and they there's probably a very good case if you're if you're the CFO that's been brought in because of your commercial acumen, because of your ability to be the strategic business partner to the CEO, that the tech piece isn't necessarily your strong point. Um, I, I think that we see that quite often with with CEOs. It's the people with the commercial skills that get the top job rather than the people with the tech skills. So 
I'm sitting there. I know that I need some help to do this. I can see that I need some help that's going to give me a wider perspective than my own organization. So I need somebody from outside. Um, I know you're sitting there in a consultancy, so you're one of those people from the outside, Matt. But how would I go about working out which of the many consultancies I should perhaps have a working relationship with to do this? How would I go about doing that piece? So I'm, of course, highly biased. There's only one. But um, I think uh, there are a few key key things that you need to look at when you're assessing partners, I guess. What what style, um, what style of organization do, we, uh, do you want to um, interact with? If you are a big enterprise organization, you may have existing relationships with the big four and the big four are a one stop shop for everything and have excellent people. So that can be really natural. But some organizations we work with really are quite averse to engaging with the big four because of the um, constraints that that kind of relationship can bring. So whatever the answer is, work out what style of organization do you want to be interacting with? Do you want to be one of many within a big four, but a big commercial framework? Or do you want to be a strategic client for a smaller organization? And there's not a real kind of one size fits all answer to that, but work out what the answer to that question is for you. Um, and if you're not sure, maybe reach out to a number of different kinds of organizations. You've got kind of tier one, tier two, tier three, maybe even tier four, depending on how you look at consulting organizations um, and reach out to one of a few. And you'll quite quickly start to learn who are you most engaged by, who do you believe in the most and what style fits our management style within the organization. Um, beyond that, once you kind of looked at this, this, the, these are the kind of partners we'd like to bring in um, assess who you feel has the um, the strongest um, the strongest people to start off with um, it doesn't matter how many delivery frameworks they might have how many client brands they can put up ultimately you'll be at the mercy of the people that will be directly working with you day to day so quite quickly try and work out who are the actual people that I will be working with um, day to day the earlier that you're able to get exposure to them um it, the well the better that will look but the earlier you get exposure the earlier that you'll start to learn whether they're the people you want to interact with um and then the final point i'd, I'd say is think about um how well you feel they are going to engage with your team and actually learn your business because every business is different even if you've even even if you're working with a consultancy that does all sorts of consulting in the manufacturing space already, for example, how engaged are they to want to learn about you, to learn about your vision, your company, your team? Um, because that empathy that they need to bring to their day-to-day -day can be the difference between a, a good engagement and a really good engagement. Um, so make sure you feel like you've got that um, connection and they're really willing to invest in learning through the engagement not just bringing their model delivering something and then leaving mm, yeah and i i think having kind of worked in similar organizations to yours and i'm certainly thinking that big four versus smaller firm uh the last consultancy that I, I was working with we had a very clear selling model that said well you'll get big four people but you won't be paying big four prices for them Oh, and by the way, the people that we tell you in the proposal are going to be working in your project will be the people that turn up at the door. 
and do the work, we won't send a whole load of juniors in that we've never told you about. Um, I, I think that's the key point for me, that this, this kind of working relationship is about people. It is all about people. It's, it's all about building that trusting relationship and working with individuals that can bring you the right level of insight, the right level of knowledge and understand your business and that you get on with very well. And okay, I'm not talking about they're the sort of people you'd go to the pub with every night, but they're the sort of people that you can trust to bring into the boardroom, present to your chief executive, give the right message, be totally on point. Um, no, and it's a diff it's a difficult process to go through. I think choosing the right set of advisors for you, I mean, obviously you're biased towards your organisation. I'm biased to the organisation. I've still got a small allegiance to, <laughs> but there are many out there, and it's your 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 guys won't be right for some of the projects that I do, and vice versa. Yeah, exactly, and I I. Um, I believe, yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said. It's all about those people. Um, and we are, yeah, we are passionate about that, about the things you spoke about, the people you see are the people you'll see all the way through, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, not disregarding the big four from that either, because um, the big four do bring a lot of <clears throat> um, credibility, experience, breadth, et cetera. Um, but I guess what I'd encourage is that it, it's often a de facto, we'll go to the big four, we'll go to the big four. Maybe try and challenge that a little bit. Challenge yourself to see if there is another partner out there um, that you feel can bring a little bit more because we certainly believe that there are us and others. Um, but I think, Kevin, you're spot on in the fact that if you don't already have a relationship with one, it can be quite a difficult world to navigate um, because it's it's yeah it's a very crowded world in some ways but also if yeah if you don't know a, a partner organization already then you probably may not know they exist exactly exactly and to be honest before you guys came along and did one of our future of the finance function sessions for for chris treadwell i personally never heard of vantage point but i've heard a lot more about vantage point in the in the intervening period yeah. that just shows it's it's there are some very good people out there, but unless you specifically come into contact with them, you don't necessarily even know they existed. And it's not something that would just pop out of a Google search either. So Quite possibly not, yeah. yeah. So do, do a bit of research um, and Google is a good starting point. Reach out to other people people in your organization maybe across the board um and peer, and peer cfos i think that's what's great about peer cfo groups is because if you're in that first cfo role there is that support network around you and and, and people you can interface with exactly exactly and have those and recommendations that's that's one of the, the the philosophies that is core to the center of growth cfo that you should be able to just talk to your peer cfos what are you doing did you use these guys? What did you think? Did it work? Um, and you, you talk to half a dozen other CFOs, you very soon get an opinion about an organization you wanted to know about, and you may well get some suggestions about others that are equally good or better that you'd never even thought about looking at. Yeah. Matt, that has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. 
No problem at all. Uh, I've been really enjoyable. Mm -hmm.